This is Jeff Bastian, and you're listening to Ignited with Meaning, where we'll be exploring the terrain of a meaningful life, creating a roadmap for that, and generating more happiness along the way. Have you ever wondered what the meaning of life is or how to make your life more meaningful? We're here to find answers to those questions. And today I'm kicking off a two-part series on purpose development in our youth. In this first part, we'll be talking with Heather Malin about her new book, Teaching for Purpose. If you are a parent or educator, these next two episodes might be particularly interesting to you as we explore how our youth develop purpose and get some ideas for how we can intervene either at home or via the educational system. Heather is the Director of Research at the Center on Adolescence at Stanford University, where she researches how young people develop purpose and their capacity for meaningful contribution to their communities. What I really love about Heather's book is that it asks this incredibly important question. What if purpose was the purpose of education? When I think about massive impact, wow, that's it. Raise an entire generation to have purpose. In today's interview, we learn how Heather got to the point of wanting to write this book, what purpose is and its relationship with meaning, some of the developmental milestones important in childhood through early adulthood, and what's next for Heather. So without further ado, Purpose Development in Our Youth, Part 1. Hey, Heather, and uh, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you for having me. This is really great to be here with you. All right. Well, you have uh, just come out with a book called Teaching for Purpose. Uh, You're now in research, but you previously taught like elementary school art. How did you first get into teaching art, and what made you shift focus into the research side of things? Sure. So um, I actually started out, I would say, my my own first inklings of, of purpose um, were in art. I was, um, especially in high school, I was, I was um, very gung-ho about um, getting into the visual arts. And, um, but I also knew at the time that uh, what was really striking to me about making art and, and looking at art was what goes on in in the mind when you're kind of interacting with art, how you get access to someone else's mind in a way that you don't otherwise get access to, and that by making art, you're really doing things with your mind that you, um, you can't do through other activities, that it accesses um, kind of perception and creativity in a way that... Um, <clears throat> it's really hard to access in any other way. So, um, so although I was kind of interested in making art, what I was really fascinated by and really wanted to explore was, um, what happens in the mind when people make art. Um, so I carried that with me. I, I did go to, uh, college as an art major at first, but I pretty quickly switched, um, kind of took a different turn and, uh, got into a more of a psychology and art program <clears throat> so that I could, um, I took courses like creativity, the psychology of creativity and the arts and <clears throat> did art classes that were really explorations of um, humanity through painting or something like that. 
So, um, so I was always on that track. And um, when I when it came time to figure out what to do after college, I uh, I kind of I kind of went back and forth between going straight into doing research and tr- really trying to understand more about the human mind and and how it develops in the art making process or being a teacher. And um, I, I finally, I decided that I really wanted that hands on the ground or hands on, on the ground experience with um, working with kids, seeing what happens when you do engage kids in art making and, you know, what, how can you shape activities that will kind of engage them in those kind of experiences, learning experiences and mind developing experiences. So that's, um, that's how I got into teaching and teaching art. I taught for a couple of years, um, and I actually, uh, you know, at the same time, I was had a kind of strong social justice drive going on parallel to that, and I wanted to um, learn about people from different parts of the world, and I wanted to understand how different people were living in the world. And I, so I went to, uh, one of my teaching jobs was in Honduras. I went to um, teach at a bilingual elementary school there. And I taught second grade as well as art. <clears throat> and um, I, while I was there, I had opportunity to kind of play with some ideas about teaching and what the arts can do with young people. Um, and um you know, kind of uninvited, had opportunities to go to small villages and, um, you know, work with kids, just invite kids to do art projects and, and see what they responded to. And really got uh, introduced to this idea um, that I had been kind of abstractly aware of, but um, really got to explore the idea of art as a way for young people, children, um, to, to, uh, express their uh, more, well, express their ideas, but really envision the world that they want to live in and envision, you know, through their imagination and what they want to create with, you know, their art, um, what the world could be, what they can do in their world and what they can contribute to their world in terms of making it their own or representative of their own beliefs and ideas and desires. That seems like a really key concept that that uh, this idea that you're getting into now of of kids being able to really envision um, what it what it is that they want the world to be. Is that does that tell me more about that? Well, yeah, and I didn't think of it as purpose or anything like that at the time. I just thought of it as art and. Um, and, and this idea that, you know, kids, um, are born into a world that they often feel like they have no control over, uh, or that they, they don't have a say in creating it or determining what it will be like. Um, but that art is at least an opportunity to, um, explore the potential of seeing their mark in the world and also at the same time, imagining new possibilities for what what their lives or their world could be. Um, and, you know, I was, I was doing art projects with young kids who were like, just happy to be like, have materials in their hands. And it was really exciting for them. But 
certainly didn't realize, you know, all that kind of grand potential that I was thinking about. Um, but I think it was, you know, it was, it was fun and it was interesting and, and, and it kind of got my ideas about the potential of engaging kids in activities that help them to envision and transform their world, their community or their lives, whatever level they see it at. I came to Stanford and I came as an art education PhD. I was, there was one professor at, at the Stanford Graduate School of Education who, his background was in art education and I was kind of a perfect fit for the projects that he was working on at the time. So um, that was a lucky break for me. And it wasn't all art education students, right? It was people looking at education from all different angles and and child development from all different angles. And so I got exposed to a lot of ideas. And so I um, was fortunate to start working as a research assistant with um, Bill Damon, who does research on youth purpose development. And he... Um, he saw my background in the arts and the artistic development and art education and wanted me to work with, we had hundreds of interviews with uh, adolescents on purpose, um, but some small percentage of them had talked about the arts and he didn't have a background particularly in the arts and no one else on the team did. So he thought it was a great opportunity to look at artistic development and artistic purpose in all these interviews that they had. So, so that's how I got involved with the purpose work. Before that, I had no, I still wasn't thinking of it as purpose. Um, I was working on a dissertation on artistic development in young children and really exploring that in terms of um, listening to kids talk about their own art making and to understand what it means to them and what they are actually doing in the process and what their intentions are. And so I was looking at it from that angle, but um, this was an opportunity to uh, kind of expand my own horizons in terms of thinking more broadly about the, the same ideas I was thinking about, about young people envisioning and transforming and thinking about the world they wanna live in and how they're gonna create it. Um, just in areas beyond the arts. But, so I started, so I got in it through the arts and my background in the arts, but I pretty quickly realized there's hundreds of interviews here with kids with all different kinds of interests and purposes and backgrounds. And so it was a great, uh, just a great opportunity to connect with all of that and learn about purpose and realize that's actually what I've been thinking about this whole time is purpose. So Heather, I, I love that introduction, and I love that uh, there was a path of your love of art and the psychology of art, and that through your your work at Stanford, this idea of purpose emerged. And what what did that do when the idea of purpose? Uh, how did purpose coalesce the the insights that you had had before? Like, tell me more about that. Sure. Um, I, I think it just gave a, okay, a broader concept that, um, or a broader understanding of what it means to um, be, see yourself as someone who can, who, who is responsible for shaping your your life, your community, society, or the world, you know, that 
I mean, I think young people are just so often denied the potential to see themselves as you're the one, you know, if, if things need to be done, we need to do it. Someone has to do it. That's you. And if you see something that needs to be changed or made better, that's, you're the one to do that. And, um, so, you know, by reading all these interviews with young people, um, when I say young people, this was like 11 years old to 23 years old was the range. Um, just saw all the different ways they thought about that, which of course, you know, we're all very different. And that's kind of an important thing about purpose is that everyone, it, everyone does it in their own way. And um, let's, let's, I'm curious about that, actually, just yeah. even the word purpose, I imagine that different people have different definitions of it. Do you mind just yeah. giving us your definition of purpose? And um, maybe even what purpose is and what purpose is not? Okay. So we have a pretty specific definition of purpose, and it's the one that I, I actually believe in pretty strongly. It's the one that was handed to me as I, um, when I came to work with the Center on Adolescence, uh, which is our center at Stanford. Um, but I've really, over the years, come to believe in it more and more. Um, so we define it as a generalized intention to do something that is at once meaningful to the self and also contributes to the world beyond the self. And that's almost verbatim from um, a, a manuscript that was written by some people on our team. Um, but I just, just to break it down a little bit, the um, generalized intention is kind of uh, uh, means it's, it's general. It's not a specific goal to, um, you know, work at a homeless shelter or something like that. It's a, it's an abstract sometimes phrased as something like, I want to help others, or I want to um, eliminate poverty, or I want to help my family uh, in the future, or it's just kind of a, a broad general idea that can be realized in a lot of different ways. So, you know, you can act on a purpose, a purpose can kind of be there for a long time, and it should be if it's purpose. Um, but it can show up in your life in different ways and be acted on in different ways. So that's kind of the generalized intention part. Um, it's meaningful. It comes from, you know, the strongest purposes we see it come from um, young people who really have a strong sense of what their values are, what really matters to them. They know um, who they want to be and what kind of person they want to be. And so purpose is a, kind of a, a goal or an intention that represents that, that person that they want to be. And then um, uh, most importantly, I think, um, is it's beyond the self. And that means that it's kind of a desire to contribute or be of consequence in the world in some way. So, <clears throat> Um, this is actually kind of controversial. Not everyone who works on purpose uh, believes that it needs to be beyond the self-oriented, that you can actually have purpose that's just like a big goal that you're trying to achieve in your life, regardless of whether it's self-fulfilling or self-satisfying or doing something in the world. But um, Like running a triathlon or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I have a great career where I make a lot of money and feel really satisfied with my work. Um, compete in a triathlon. These, yeah, they're very 
great goals to have. They can make you a better person, um, which some people argue is contributing to the world, right? If I'm bettering myself, right. then I'm making mm-hmm. myself a better person in the world. We run into all kinds of, you know, difficult things for in terms of how, how do we define purpose? Um, there's endless kind of ways to question like, well, what about this? But um, but essentially, I mean, it's when I think about purposes, what is my purpose here? Like, why am I here? What am I, what do I have that the world needs from me? And how am I going to contribute that? Um, so that's how we define purpose. And, you know, you used another word in defining purpose, which was interesting, which is the word meaning. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that the words purpose and meaning can be confusing. And you also use this word. And when you talked about meaning in your book, you had this idea of big M and little M meaning. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about meaning, what the the big M and little M is, and then how meaning is different than purpose. Yeah. So meaning and purpose have actually been uh, conflated or kind of used interchangeably for a long time. Um, we tend to refer back to Viktor Frankl, who is really, uh, was kind of a, he introduced this idea of the importance of meaning into the psychological, especially in psychotherapy, um, but just into the world of, of psychology. And he used meaning and purpose interchangeably, but um, so they continue to be used interchangeably. And what we've mm-hmm. really been trying to do is make purpose a distinct construct that's dis- distinct from meaning and some other things that it gets confused with. So meaning, um, I think of it as having a few different meanings, <laughs> and one is that it's the it's the it's kind of the significance It's what something means and that can be applied to words. It can be applied to symbols or things that happen in your life, um, that you find significance in. And, um, so those are things that can make, um, you help you make sense of your world and your life. Um, the other sense of meaning is kind of what is my life meaning. It's not those little things, or it's not the significance of everything, you know, what the words mean or what this action means or what um, anything, I mean, anything can have meaning if you want to figure out how to make sense of it. But really, what is the meaning? What gives my life meaning? What's the meaning of life? It's just that big um, thing that matters to you or things that, that matter to you. And that's closer to purpose, but it's um, it's not your meaning in life, I think, is different from your purpose in life because meaning is just uh, a much broader idea. Um, trying to think an example of, you know, what is the meaning of life <clears throat> can be any kind of thing that um, connects you. It can be thought of as connections like, your relationships give you meaning in life. Um, your work can give you meaning in life. Um, God can give you meaning in life. These are like these are kind of things that you're connected to that kind of give you connection both throughout your life, but also to other, you know, both internal and external connections between yourself and the world outside of yourself. 
But there's not that goal or intention that is the fundamental piece of purpose. Purpose is really a a forward driving or a future driving um, intention, something that you need to do. Uh, Meaning doesn't, you don't have to do anything to have meaning. Um, And also meaning doesn't have to be beyond the self-oriented, although I generally think of meaning as kind of, it does connect you with your world. Otherwise, you're just sort of locked in yourself or it connects you with God or it connects you with, you know, something that brings you outside of yourself if it's meaningful, but it's not an actual contribution to uh, something outside of yourself. Yeah, it's interesting that as you describe that, I'm reminded of a, a book I read recently I believe it was called The Four Pillars of Meaning or something or other where um, the author talks about these different things that can bring meaning to your life, uh, like belonging, mm-hmm. um, kind of transcendental like experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's one other and then there was purpose. And when I read the purpose section, that really resonated with me as the kind of like purpose driven meaning is the thing that brings me the most meaning where I you know, realize that for other people, um, other things bring meaning, um, equally more, they, they weight the other things more, but I, I really am driven towards that purpose aspect of meaning as, as the thing that's going to make me feel the most fulfilled. Yeah. And that is generally, um, how purpose is understood as being either a, a, piece or a part of meaning or a <clears throat> one way to have meaning. And um, I, I agree. And I also think it goes the other way or, or it needs to be looked at the other way as well, which is that purpose has to have meaning within it as well, right? Your, your purpose has to be something related to something that's meaningful to you. So um Right. Like if, yeah, if I, my, um, uh, an example I often use is, is that I'm really driven by environmental causes. And so, mm-hmm. um, because those are meaningful to me, if I have purpose around those, like if I, if I have a yeah. goal around, you know, reducing the, the magnitude of climate change or something like that, um, a, a purpose around that is going to be because it stems from something that's meaningful to me. It's, yeah. it, gives it more purpose. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. And I mean, if you take the same example um, of someone who works for uh, an environmental uh, organization, trying to think of someone might be a better example, but let's just, let's just go with it. The Someone works for an environmental organization, not because they are interested in, they have some drive to uh, protect the environment, but um, just because it was a job that was available and it matched their skills and and they needed a job and it's flexible and, you know, give some time with their family or whatever. They'll be doing the same job as you but and, and doing the same activities, but it doesn't have any meaning to them. And so it's, and, and they may be contributing tremendously to, you know, protecting the environment, but the, me- the meaning to them isn't there, that that connection, that value of, of of protecting the environment is missing. And so that's not really purpose because it's not meaningful. 
Right. So, so something that's, um, so you're saying that it's not purpose either. I would say that's not purpose that, yeah. Right. Because even though it has some sort of, um, external, it's like, you got to check both boxes, right? It's got to be meaningful to you and it's got to have some sort of benefit to others. So in that instance that you just provided, there is the benefit to others, but it's not meaningful to the individual. Right. Now, I think one thing that's really important is that we is not assuming that uh, there's only one way to find meaning or purpose in a particular activity. So that same person might be very purposeful in their work, but not because they're committed to a cause, but because it does afford them um, the opportunity to support their family and be with their family as much as possible because it has some sort of flexibility that allows them to raise their children in the way they want to raise their children. And so that's the driving purpose. Um, but it just looks different from the person who's working next to them in the same job. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting shade of gray where it it seems like, you know, um, there would be greater alignment if the person who was, doing the job felt like their the direct work that they were doing was uh, meaningful to them. Um, whereas if, if it supports something else that's meaningful, then I, it checks the box, but not quite as clearly as the, the free, previous example. Not as clearly. However, there are, I mean, the vast majority of people that even, even young people that we talk to, um, family is such an important source of purpose. It's, it's huge. It's, it's mm. like washes out everything else, right. In a way. So, so for a lot of people, like finding that perfect job that fulfills your purpose is not going to happen, but being able to feel like your purpose is being fulfilled by that job in some way is, is important, I think. And, and for a lot of people, if that's because it helps them support their family, it'd be ideal to have a job that you also enjoy, but it's maybe not the purpose-fulfilling work that we all hope to have. But, you know. Oh, that's really there's, helpful. There's that's also, true. yeah, there, there are also, I mean, I think it, it also helps because you can, um, I think that it's possible to find purpose in what you're doing. So you may end up, um, working somewhere that is either not yet your ideal vision of, you know, fulfilling your purpose, or that's just a struggle to, to find that, that path. Um, but it's also possible to realize purpose in what you're doing or find purpose in what you're doing. And so, um, you know, I think of people who go to work because it pays the bills and there's a lot of people who do that and they find within that job um, ways to make the job itself better for their fellow coworkers, um, people who, you know, advocate for better pay or better work conditions. You know, that's, I mean, that's just one example, but there are ways to find purpose in what you're doing. That's a great example. If, I actually have a couple of colleagues that are just really passionate about um, our, we've got a committee called uh, Diversity 
um, Equity and Inclusion Committee. And even though we all work at a mission-driven company around the environment, I, I suspect that they find more meaning and purpose in helping us become a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable work mm-hmm. environment than uh, the meaning the, of, of the, the work itself, even though that's, that's good too. Um, so I, I like that yeah. example of how you can, you can actually find uh, purpose in shaping your work environment as much as right. the work itself. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's an example. I think it's a particularly useful example, but it's it's just an example of ways that you don't. It's not necessary to find the thing that um, gives you the most meaning and purpose and do that as your work. There's just lots. There's lots of ways to find purpose in what you're doing. Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit to talking about kids. That's uh, that's okay. where you spend a lot of your research. So I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about the developmental stages of kids and mm-hmm. where purpose is, like what's the proper place for purpose at different age groups? Sure. Um, so um, it's a really interesting question and we get, um, we've, so we we have worked mostly with kids as young as eleven, uh, I mentioned, and um, but but we have seen purpose younger than eleven. And there's a just to give the kind of start out with the, the very young end um, as a as a kind of a ground I guess place to start. We. We one of the kids we interviewed is actually before my time, but uh, was um, I think he was twelve at the time he was interviewed. But he started when he was in first grade, so he was six years old. His teacher was uh, talking about um, maybe reading a story. I'm not even sure, but um, the topic came up about the need for clean water in Africa. They were reading a story or something about how people in some part of Africa didn't have access to clean water. And this one student in the class was really upset by this idea and wanted to know like, how do they get clean water? And was um, it was explained that they need wells and that um, they, you know, if they had more wells, they would be able to get more clean water, but that it costs money to build wells that they're very hard to access and that there are a lot of challenges to building wells. Um, he, I think, kind of took it in as you need money to build wells enough, I just raise money and send money, they can build wells and get clean water. And so he uh, started a fundraiser. I don't remember how much he raised, but it was it was substantial enough that um, you know people around him were. I think his parents were impressed, and um, so they helped expand his fundraiser. And he ended up raising a lot of money for wells. And like he became very dedicated to this cause and. Um, was really uh, kind of found a lot of satisfaction in it. And he kept doing it. And he ended up going to Africa and um, befriending people there. He made a friendship with a boy that I think came back to the U.S. as kind of an exchange. You know, he came, the boy came to visit. And hmm. um, so so that's a, that's a very extreme case to just to show that it can actually happen quite young. Um, more typically, though, there are developmental processes that start unfolding and uh, kind of come together in early adolescence. Um, 
there's this, you know, empathies and empathy is kind of developing all along. Perspective taking is developing. And these are things that need to be in place. You need to be able to kind of understand that other people have different perspectives from you and are having different experiences from you. And then you need to kind of feel for the experiences that other people are having. And um, then recognize that there are things that you can do to affect the experiences of other people and that you have control over that. Um, There's also moral development going on in the sense of understanding um, what um, it, uh, it kind of broadens out the, the empathy in a way to kind of learn about um, not just that a, a bad thing happened, but to understand kind of why the bad thing happened. And bad thing might be someone is homeless. And by the way, um, I come back to the example of homelessness a lot because that's actually a very we hear about it in the interviews with teenagers all the time. It's like mm. a very common touchstone in a way of empathy. Um, they see it around mm-hmm. them and, and so they always come back to it. So I tend to use it a lot as an example. Um, so, um, you know, you, you start by um, seeing homeless people and wanting to help. That's kind of the empathy developing. But then when you start to have a broader understanding of the world and understand the forces of society that caused that to happen and, you know, understand the complexity of the issue and the moral complexity, um, just become better able to internalize values about the world um, that can um, give you a more nuanced reaction that's more to a problem you see in the world that is more connected to who you want to be. And so that's all very abstract, but it goes from being, I think, I see someone hurting and I want to help them to, I see someone hurting, but I want to, I want to help them. I'm going to give them a sandwich or I'm going to give them money, which is a perfectly good response to, I see someone suffering and I'm starting to understand that you know, there are all these forces in society that caused that person to be homeless. And there are different ways that I can, based on my own values and, and strengths and interests, that I can respond to that, that are more aligned with specifically who I am. And that's when it that's when purpose really starts to develop that stronger sense of meaning and personal sense of um, this is what I have to contribute to the world as opposed to just, I'm helping somebody. It's it's a much fuller thing that happens. So at what age does that transition happen where it's more about my unique ability to help a particular situation versus mm-hmm. that more simplistic mm-hmm. view that you had of a person's hungry and so you feed them? Um, so I would say what we see is that's that's kind of the early to mid high school years. We, you start to hear among ninth graders or so a lot more, um, we call it like a role exploration phase. They're more, um, they understand that they want to, they have this broad idea of wanting to do something to contribute to the world. Um, we hear a lot of that around ninth grade, uh, but they talk about uh, lots of different paths that they can take. And so they're starting to say, well, I'm 
into music, but I'm also into engineering. And I was really interested in teaching as well. And they're just kind of starting to see that there's different ways that they can develop themselves to be that person they want to be in the world in terms of their values and, and, you know, being a contributing person in the world, um, that they start to see that their unique strengths can be developed to align with that on along different paths. So I think that's when I see that starting to develop a little older is when they really start to understand more complexity about specifically about social issues and the interconnectedness of, you know, all the forces that cause things to happen in the world. That's a little older, but it's, you can see that idea of connecting their personal strengths starting. Yeah. in early high school years. Okay. And so 11, um, that puts us more at middle school. So, so you do research from you know middle school through, you know, high school and then I think into some early college as well. Is that right? Yeah. In fact, the study we're doing right now is in college. Um, I I do want to say about the middle school because it's, it's something that one of the strongest things I've come away with in, in doing this research is that uh, we really do a disservice to middle school students (laughs) Um, because the things we hear most from middle school students is they are, especially sixth grade, 11 years old, like the younger they are, they're just overflowing with empathy. They have so much, they see things in the world and they're just overflowing with this desire to do something to Mm -hmm. make the world a better place. But they so often say, but I can't because I don't know how, I don't know what I would do. I'm not old enough to do that. Um, I wouldn't know how to start the adults. You know, they won't let me do that. I can't volunteer at the animal shelter because I'm not old enough. So um, it just made me realize we put so many barricades on people who are just ready to go (laughs) with having responsibilities in the Mm -hmm. world. Um, So and middle school is a tough time, but that was just one takeaway for me that was really strong was um, I think we could do a lot more in developing purpose if we uh, look at middle school in terms of giving young people more responsibilities and opportunities uh, and guidance for actually acting on the things that that give them that sense of purpose. And you have a word for that, right? Isn't that word agency? I would say that's, um, yeah, agency, definitely. They um, they feel the drive, but they don't have the sense of being the person who can do something about it, which is agency, yeah. So in elementary school, uh, empathy is one of those key things that kids have the ability to cultivate. Is there anything Mm -hmm. that you're seeing in schools that is really making that successful? And or are there any other elements of purpose that you see really being um, uh, brought along and instructed as part of early education? Um, I don't. So I don't know that much. I actually, um, I think that there are some schools that are trying to do things that do relate to purpose, um, whether they see it that way or define it that way or not. 
Um, I think the empathy, uh, the push for, um, or the, the interest in teaching empathy is, um, a really big change. I think that's, that's happened. And, and, um, there are some things that I think could be kind of that have been started, but could be nudged a little bit. I think there's a lot of, um, interest in things like social responsibility that come along with empathy, but that's really seen in classrooms as being a good, behaving well in a way that um, makes the classroom run smoothly. Whereas I would like to see it pushed more as social responsibility is understanding that you're, um, you're a member of this community and you have the agency, you have the capacity to, um, to, you know, be someone who has an impact on this community in the school, in the classroom. <clears throat> so um, that's one thing that could be pushed a little harder, I think. There are, let's see. Um, you know, quick, quick story. Uh, my son this year for his second grade classroom, they did a um, like a trick or treat fundraiser where they all had these little uh, UNICEF boxes with like little mm -hmm. ghouls on them. But it also said, you know, on the back, a $7 contribution will do this for a kid and a $2 contribution will do this and whatnot. And my son got so into it. He was asking mm -hmm. um, every, just about every uh, adult at the door if after he said trick or treat you know can i will you give a dollar to unicef and it will do this much mm -hmm. and he got a really great response i mean not everybody was ready to give money but they i think were appreciative that he asked and so that he asked uh, and that he was aware of what that was you know what that was about and what that could do what he could do by going out and asking them for money you know yeah exactly part of that yeah do you do you have any examples of schools, you know, whether it be at the middle school or high school level where they're doing other specific activities um, that really are cultivating an element of purpose, whether it be talking about purpose itself or, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, doing something that's really foundational to purpose like developing agency? There's really been a drift towards um, asking students questions that the teacher knows the answer to and that that's what school is about and that you can maintain a sense of control over the environment by making sure as a teacher you know what the content of the lesson is going to be and you are guiding students towards responding in ways that you can predict. But what I've seen with um, some organizations and, and programs that are trying to bring purpose to schools is one of the key first pieces is asking questions that are open-ended and a little risky and invite students to talk about their lives and themselves in the context of the classroom. You know, it's not just open talking about yourself, but they're guided kind of inquiry questions that allow students to bring in unpredictable aspects of uh, their lives and themselves and connect with each other's stories so that they're they're developing their um, ability to talk about what matters to them and why. Um, another uh, way it's done is asking 
big questions about life and um, around sort of key ideas like purpose, um, interconnectedness, fear, <laughs> things that are kind of big ideas, relationships, and getting kids to talk to each other about these things in the classroom. Both introduce the potential, I think, for students to bring their ideas about purpose to school and explore those ideas about purpose at school, to explore their ideas about purpose within a collaborative environment, because, you know, purpose is actually not an individual endeavor. It's actually, purpose is all, almost always something you have to do with other people, and it connects you to other people. So, you know, this idea of bringing purpose, making a safe space for purpose in the classroom, I guess, is, is a way to put it, has been pretty transformative for some schools, both in terms of, I think, enabling students to connect their purpose to what they're learning and connect their learning to what who they want to be and what they want to do, but also has in some places changed the environment so that they schools are seeing fewer discipline referrals, fewer suspensions, fewer absences. And, and to me that and to them, it indicates that um, teachers and students are connecting better and relating in a way that teachers have other ways of interacting with kids because they've opened that door of interaction that's more human um, than just trying to ask a question that you know you're going to get the answer that you want and you know you, you everybody will stay under control if you just you know make sure everybody's trying to get the answer that you want to opening it up, but opening it up uh, brings in the risk of um, kids bringing their messy lives <laughs> into the classroom, but it also allows you to be more um, human in connecting with your students. And I, I think the outcomes of that have been um, not tested in any rigorous way, but anecdotally um, really interesting. Um, because there is a part of purpose that is about this human connection. And so opening the door to that is pretty big. I do also, I think um, one of the things you were kind of getting to is that there is this idea of service and engaging kids in being kind of responsible for um, serving their community or um, doing things for others. And I think that's a part of it. But what I saw was um, these programs doing that after they've done this other work of engaging students in this opening up process in the classroom, because then that service can be done in a way that is meaningful to the kids themselves. The fundamental question that you start this book out with is this idea of what if the purpose of education was teaching purpose? So I'm kind of mm -hmm. curious, just based on, you know, is that is that based on the fact that that's just not a stated goal and outcome and that you would love to mm -hmm. see that as a stated goal and outcome mm -hmm. of every educational institution? And what do you think would be the difference between um, today and that being the case? So I definitely think that... That question, I think, is really important. Um, I do think there's, you know, there's always this question of what is school for? What is the purpose of school? And what is the purpose of education? 
And there are a lot of different ideas about there about what is the purpose of school. And it depends on who you ask. If you ask parents, you might get one answer. And if you ask policymakers, you might get another answer. Um, so um, there's not really a cohesive vision, I think, of what is the purpose of school. And at the same time, I think this idea of helping young people develop a sense of purpose in life is not even on the radar <laughs> in general of even those discussions about why, why do we, what is school for? So, um, and yet it seems so important to me that um, it's, even if your goal is to get kids into college, that giving them a foundation in um, exploring or trying to understand what is, what is your purpose will make that goal of college all the easier to pursue. And even and when you get to college, you'll have a much clearer sense of why you're there if you've at least done some exploration of what is my purpose? What do I want? Who do I want to be? Um, as opposed to saying, my goal is to get to college and that's all I'm, that's kind of the farthest point I'm looking to right now is just getting to college because I have some ex abstract goals in the future, but all I can think about right now is, is getting to college. So there's that side of it, of the human development piece um, and the learning piece, which is that um, if purpose were the purpose of school, you would actually be able to tap into these other goals that, that education has. One being getting kids to the next step in a more thoughtful way so that they can make the most of the next steps after school, after high school. Um, but also purpose is good for society. If people are purposeful, they're trying to do positive things in the world. And so that's, you know, all around better for society as opposed to people being focused on, I want to go to college and I want to get a job that makes money. Um, I just think is not as effective for society. <clears throat> the you other know, piece I, of it is what happens... Uh, Oh, I was just going to uh, vehemently agree that if the, you know, whether or not people are, you know, if you ask them if the purpose of you know, life was to go to school and get good grades so that you can get into a good college so that you can make money, I think most people would say that's probably not the meaning of life, right? But nonetheless, there's there's some implicit understanding that that's a lot of the reason and motivation behind doing those different things. And so if we could be more explicit about an alternative vision, that the purpose yeah. of education is to cultivate your capability to lead a purposeful life for, for the remainder of your life, and even through these educational and academic years, uh, that, that just sounds incredibly beautiful to me, and that that would be a major influence and inflection point in our society if we went in that direction. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's um, it's interesting that uh, so we've done interviews with uh, lots of kids and just sticking with the middle school age. You know, you do hear that. We ask what what matters to you, what's really important to you. And so the family is the most common response, but the second most common response and we give them it's not. Uh, everybody has a few responses. So 90 percent say family and then 80 percent say school and getting good grades and, and going to college and making sure I get on that good path. Um, so, so, and, and what is school for? It's so I can go to college. Like, why do you want to get good grades? So I can go to college, so I can get a good job, so I can be successful. 
oh, well, what does success look like? That's a little fuzzier, which which is okay in middle school. I mean, it, but, you know, um, we also talked to, this is kind of speaking to the school environment. We Some of the kids we interviewed were from a school that was not specifically purpose-focused, but was much more of an inquiry and project-based learning kind of school where they were um, always thinking about um, how their learning connected to the world beyond school. And, and they did ask a lot of open-ended questions in the classroom, and they did kind of were always um, working on collaborative projects and just all these things in that kind of inquiry and project-based school. And their responses about like, well, you know, school is important. Well, why is school important? Well, because it's helping me learn and learn how to learn so that as I go through my life, I'll be able to gain the knowledge that I need to do what I want to do. And I was like, that is such a different way of understanding (laughs) school, you know, even if it's not purpose specifically, it's much more understanding why you're learning and what you're going to do with your ability to learn. I was, so I was really struck by that. Um, So that kind of goes to, well, what if we actually made purpose, the, the purpose of school, it, I think it changes how kids think about why they're in school and what they're learning. It also, I think would have a um, big effect on, the school itself, in terms of the environment, um, school culture, uh, some of these uh, organizations I was working with that are doing these purpose education programs are really thinking a lot about school culture and how this kind of interaction that you start to develop between teachers and students and students and other students by doing this kind of work and focusing on purpose as an outcome changes the environment. You know, school belonging is a big issue. A lot of kids feel like they don't belong at school. And this changes, ideally, um, how it allows more kids to feel like they belong at school because school is more about them and and who they are and who they want to be, as opposed to school is about these very specific outcomes in these very narrow areas. And if that's not you, (laughs) then you're outside of that. So it changes, you know, who belongs at school and who school is for and what, how we interact inside the classroom and how we relate to each other. And so I think that is all hugely transformative to what schools are like compared to how they are today. That's, that sounds really compelling, Heather. Um, so for the the parents out there or the teachers out there who would like to see more uh, purpose-driven curriculum or change that goal, what what do you see as the options that they have in front of them to help either instill that in their own uh, kids or um, work with their teachers or uh, work with the school in order to see that shift happen? That's a really good question with a lot of different possible directions to go. Um, um, Doing it in school, I think there are, uh, I wrote about a few organizations that I think are modeling the work really nicely. Um, 
one of the key elements, and this, so this is for the teacher side of it. So one of the key pieces is teacher professional development, is getting teachers themselves to understand the idea of purpose and really think about what purpose is for themselves as teachers and for their students. Um, and seeing where they are in terms of these different pieces that might help bring more purpose into your classroom. So some students, some schools might already be having lots of, they have, you know, morning meetings and the kids talk a lot about, you know, what's important to them and why and what's going on in their world. But uh, maybe they need more opportunities to um, develop actions that they can take that come from that, uh, you know, work that they're already doing. Um, so, I, I mean, one is kind of seeing these organizations that are doing this work as models and kind of trying to see what steps are needed by, a, uh, in a particular school or environment. Um, but if we're talking about parents and maybe what parents can do with their own kids, because this is actually what the research that we have done is much more does look at what in general can adults, supportive adults do to help young people develop purpose. And we have seen some things that are um, seem to be very critical. Um, one of them is uh, the kind of encouragement. I think all parents are well-meaning in terms of encouraging their children. And um, but we've seen when kids are very purposeful, they describe the encouragement they get from their family in different ways. And so. Um, what, what seems to work or seems to be associated with this uh, strong purpose is um, encouragement that relates specifically to what students or what children are expressing interest in, especially when it relates to that kind of beyond the self uh, goals or activities. So um, give me an example. So what's, really what's a question that you're, what's something that you might ask your kids um, or your your child to about that would oh I have to be careful because she, <laughs> <laughs> she she's resistant to all the anything I try to the, put the on mom her. who's the um, director of research uh, on purpose right <laughs> so I mean I think so I think to to put it into contrast and how I do think about it is uh, it we're very well intentioned when we say do good in school and you know if you work hard in school you'll be able to do whatever you want and and that I try to avoid that kind of interaction because she's um, puts up her guard to that. But she also, I think, um, could put up her guard to that for a while, but then also eventually hear it and hear that school is the most important thing um, in terms of what the adults in her life care about. So um, I think... I put more emphasis on, you know, she's a big storyteller. And so I put a lot of emphasis on her being able to tell her stories in lots of different ways and developing those stories and giving her opportunities to do that as much as possible. So um, that's one approach I'm taking, um, allowing a lot of um, play. I just let her play. <laughs> she's nine, she's little, you know. So um, I think at this age, really just getting that opportunity to explore her interests and encouraging her to keep at it 
Um, the other thing is role modeling, both purpose and uh, beyond the self types of activities. So showing that um, that you are interested in those things as a parent and that you can do them and you can engage kids in doing them. And um, I'm very, as a parent, I'm very uh, careful about not being too pushy about volunteer activities, for example, but I try to find windows when I can to get her involved in things. Um, I do take her to um, city council meetings <laughs> and these, you know, so she doesn't love it, but she sees me participating in, in those kind of activities. Um, and she sees me pursuing purpose all the time. You know, she's in the other room right now, knowing that I'm talking about these kind of ideas um, in an interview. And so she's she she sees me doing that um, just as a role model. Um, so those are kind of those are key pieces, I would say, just as a quick bit of advice for or a suggestion for parents or what parents you know can think about is that specific types of encouragement. The, oh, the third piece that I, is super important is this idea of being a safety net. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about helicopter parents these days and really helping to, you know, wanting to really shape your child's life and make sure they're going in the right direction. And I think purpose asks for a different type of relationship, which is being back there behind your kid, ready to catch them when they fall, but letting them go out and and do what they want to do and and try things and fail and um, try again and but just being that letting them the the kids that we've talked to who were purposeful often describe my family's always there for me my family's you know always got my back and they're behind me and and they're always there so just having someone that um, is there and they know that person will support them no matter what is seems to be really important. Wow, that's that's great. Um, and I'm just as you were speaking, I was just sort of thinking through ways in which as a as a parent, I uh, am doing some of the things that you're saying versus the ways that I could be improving on that. So that's really helpful to hear that as a parent. And it also just, I'm really excited to explore the possibilities of whether or not there's an opportunity to talk with other teachers, or I've got friends who are teachers to get their take on what they're already doing or what they would like to see doing and some of the barriers that they see. So I'm and encouraged to to take some steps here to help your vision become a reality of transforming the educational system into being one of purpose. Well, that's, I mean, that's really great. I mean, that's exactly what I think I would like to be doing <laughs> next is talking to more, you know, visiting more schools, talking to more teachers and um, really getting a sense for what is going on out there and what do schools What's, what will schools pick up from this? I do hear from, um, especially people who are starting schools. Um, so I don't hear as much from people who are already working in existing schools and trying to transform them, but I'd love to um, kind of continue doing that work and seeing how this does speak to teachers and principals and um, what what can I learn from them about how we can get this more into schools. That's great, Heather. So, so I was actually going to ask that question in terms of you know, what's next for you is is what you're just described, 
the next step or is is there any additional formal concrete plan as far as your next steps and purpose goes? Yeah, so there are, there are a few directions. <laughs> um, so that's one is I am, I get, um, you know, I get uh, calls from um, people who are starting up schools or um, interested in doing this work. They've read the book and they want to do this. And so that's really exciting to me to be able to, at the very least, have conversations with them about what it actually looks like when they're trying to implement some of these ideas. Um, that's all very new, but I'm definitely following that, trying to collaborate with people when the opportunities arise. Um, we have, uh, more formally, we have a study where we're actually working with college students right now um, to look at uh, the relationship between liberal arts learning and purpose development. And so how do specific learning experiences at the college level relate to purpose development? which to me echoes some of the things that are that we saw going on in the high school and middle school level um, and even elementary level for um, that I saw when I was doing the research for my book. Um, so it's just kind of a different way of looking at the relationship between learning experiences and education and how purpose develops. Um, so that's in a very early stage, but it's uh, I look forward to seeing the results of that. Um, I'm working with some of the organizations that I did profile for the book, trying to develop uh, ways to evaluate the impact of their program. One of the hardest things that comes up over and over again is how do you measure or assess the results of this work? If it's based on the research that we've done on purpose, um, so it should be developing students' purpose based on kind of being an intervention that comes from that research. But it's really hard to find out if it's actually having that effect or what it, what effect, what effects or impacts is it having. And so that's one of the things I've been working with a lot with some of these organizations is now how do you see what's actually happening for kids and for schools and teachers um, as a result of this work. Um, so those are two big areas. There's a, there's various other things um, in purpose. I'm starting up a study of uh, using a purpose interview as an intervention with suicidal teens, actually. So kind of a different direction, but um, thinking about how uh, talking about purpose might um, be helpful for kids who uh, need to do that process of imagining the future in positive and proactive ways um, to see if that does help um, with their treatment, which is part of a broader treatment plan. Um, and then there's a lot of uh, research that's kind of all over the place about the relationship between purpose and adversity. Um, like we know from our own research that a lot of kids develop purpose out of negative experiences that they've had. Um, whether it's the aunt who died of cancer and now they want to be a cancer researcher or um, their family is always struggling with poverty and so they're finding ways to help their family come out of that. Um, what we don't fully understand is why do some kids have that purpose response to their adversity and why so many others don't and and what... what uh, is there other ways to help more 
kids have more of a purpose response to uh, adversity or the negative things that happen in their life. Um, so those are some of the, all the different areas that the directions that <laughs> I'm looking right now. Yeah, that's, that's really great. And so Heather, if people want to connect with you and uh, explore starting a school based on purpose together or yeah. <laughs> uh, talk with you about your research, how, how did they reach you? Um, so our website is um, coa.stanford.edu and you should be able to reach me through there. Do you want my email address here? No, that's all right. Uh, we'll we'll uh... okay because anybody can email me, but um, I think that's the way to kind of find my information, and you can call us through there. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Heather. Yeah, thank you. This is really great. I really enjoyed getting to talk to you about these all these things that I think are so important. So thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Heather Malin and gotten a feel for what she and her book have to offer. If you're interested in more information, I highly encourage you to check out her book. There are many things we didn't get to discuss like partial purpose and the concepts of dreaming, dabbling, and success seeking, which look like purpose, but aren't the same. She also has great in-depth profiles of schools that are living and breathing purpose in their curriculum. I've got the link to purchase the book directly through her publisher, Harvard Education Press, in the show notes for Heather Malin on my website, ignitedwithmeaning.com. In the next show, we'll be continuing the conversation about purpose development in our youth with part two, where I'll be speaking with another researcher on youth purpose, Kendall Cotton Bronk. Kendall is a professor of psychology at Claremont Graduate University, where she directs the Adolescent Moral Development Lab creating and testing interventions to help youth develop purpose in their lives. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Ignited with Meaning, where we're exploring the terrain of a meaningful life, creating a roadmap for that, and generating more happiness along the way. As a father of two young kids, this is really a joy to be able to research and be able to have these conversations on youth and purpose development. I know I'm getting a lot out of it, and I hope you are too. If you are, please share this podcast on social media with a teacher you know or strike up a conversation at your next PTA meeting about how your schools can introduce purpose. Until next time, be persistent, keep looking, and together we'll build the meaningful lives we want. Mm-hmm.